one race in, same as it ever was. Max still dominating like last year, Ryan. A little bit. Yeah? Some different things. Yeah, certainly some different things, but who even knew that Max was taking part in this race because you (laughs) never saw him after the start. That's true. Yep. This is Purple Sector. I'm Lynn Rye Guy on the mics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Time for our Bahrain Grand Recap. It's good to be back on track, Rye Guy. Yeah, there's a new F1. Yes. Some new faces are climbing up the order. Mercedes sucks now. Uh, Aston Martin's better than them, even though they're a customer team. Yeah, so much for tell me without telling me. Mercedes is telling you. Everyone at Mercedes, Mercedes is telling us that they think their car is garbage. Yeah, Mercedes is in shambles. Like, they are they are going backwards. I don't think it's a mystery at this point. Yeah, and going forward, here's how y'all can support the show. Thanks for tuning in to Purple Sector. Remember to reach out to the show by pitting in the mail box, box, box. Instructions to, to box. You can leave a voicemail or shoot a text to 904-8-PURPLE. That's 904-878-7753. You can also slide into our DMs at Purple Sector Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Be sure to follow both those accounts as well. Follow me on Instagram. You can also get additional content on our YouTube by subscribing to Purple Sector F1 Podcast. Finally... Be sure to subscribe to Purple Sector wherever you get your podcasts. Review the show and throw us five stars at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. See you on the track. Oh, yeah. Bahrain, right, guys? Yeah, so get where, into it now. Where do we start? So I, there was a great quote that I heard of that happened leading up to the weekend. Hulkenberg and Magnuson the media obviously still can't get enough of the fact that Magnuson said, suck my balls, mate, to him, you know. And right. They're constantly asking, how's everything going between the two of you? They seem very chummy in everything I've seen. I think they're grown men, and they've realized it was a heated moment. And, you know, how often do we see on track where these guys mother F everyone else on the radio, and then Every time they're good buddies? Happens. Yeah. So Hulkenberg had interesting quotes regarding his teammate Magnuson. He said, Ron, quote, we're rubbing and tugging and hugging and everything. He leaves nothing to the imagination. So nothing. <laughs> it seems like it's even more than just a friendship, maybe a budding romance, physical romance between the two of them. Yeah. With a lot of rubbing and tugging and hugging. I don't think that will ever get, get lived down, though, by the media or anyone for both of them. Both oh, Kevin not. and Nico Hulkenberg will have to always answer to the suck my balls comment. Oh, for sure. It's not going anywhere. That That's long. their legacy, their joint legacy now. Yeah. And now they're teammates, which is the funniest part. Suck my balls, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's never going anywhere. The media is going to constantly hammer that. I can't believe Magnuson actually said that like on air. Not, yeah. He wasn't in the race car at that point. They had been out of the cars for a while. Yeah, it wasn't like it got picked up by a hot mic or something. He was giving no, an interview, <laughs> and Hulkenberg came up and kind of razzed him for you know an incident on track, and his immediate response was, suck my balls, mate. I mean, maybe – I think he was talking to – um. Oh God, my brain is farting. He's Danish. I think he was talking at Danish TV, so maybe he felt at home. Yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, he he definitely felt it. Felt at home. Like he thought he was just that. with his Danish people, and he was like, "This fucking guy trying to interrupt my interview, huh? Check yeah. this out. Hey, suck my balls." Yeah, amazing uh, response from him. Raga, let's head to practice at Bahrain. So, the new wrinkle in the hot tire talk section the c0 is now the hardest tire so they've gone off the number scale and just added c0 yeah just a little bit harder yeah 
they, they're just making more and more compounds. It's funny. Remember they tried to streamline it because back in the day you had like hyper soft, super soft, soft, super medium, hard, extra hard, stone hard, you know. Yeah. And they kind of simplified it and didn't even call it hard, medium, soft because the range would change with what three tires it was every race. But now they've had a C0 through C5. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. So another thing I noticed, I, I didn't hear any backstory, but I kept seeing shots of Alonzo and FP1 on his steering wheel. It just said cool. Like, I don't know if cool maybe the it engine. was them saying to cool the car, but yeah, I just cool thought the it car. was, okay, I didn't know if they were sending some cheeky message to him like, hey, cool. Yeah, cool I, saw job. That. I saw that too. Very yeah. to the point messaging. Yeah, because <laughs> we know that they've done bits in the past on the steering wheels, you know, where the engineers will send messages to the drivers and stuff. So that was actually cool. The engine all caps, not cool job, cool drive. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. What do you think of, we're going to get into on a future episode, a full breakdown of the liveries and the helmets and all that stuff. But what do you think of the Mercedes with all these neon accents now? The Mercedes, both of them look awesome this year. They went back to the black uh, I guess they were thinking that would erase the memory of last year's car for everyone. But yeah, back to when they used to dominate. Yeah, but now it's just a slow black car versus a slow silver car. Right. But the the cars do look awesome. Yeah, and the neon stuff is cool because a lot of the other cars are just standard. Mm-hmm. It's very cool that they have on the halo now the neon accent on the wheel shroud things. They have neon accents, so... It's very cool, and you have George Russell synchronizing it with his highlighter green neon helmet to match his neon green accents. Yeah, um, that's basically all they've got left right now is marketing and visuals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're doing skits and bits now and yeah. making their car look fun. They, they're going to be, for all the wrong reasons, the most fascinating team to watch this year Yeah, because it's already going like nuclear, you know what I'm saying, with Toto's comments after the first race and... Apparently, what's his name? Mike uh, Elliot. Mike Elliot's under under the gun now. He's like their chief designer. Right? Yes, yeah. he's already been given an ultimatum by Toto allegedly to fix this car or make a decision on where to go with development. Yeah, Let's, this is after race one. Right. Let's talk about all that for a moment. All the soap off the track with Mercedes because you have Hamilton coming out basically saying like, "Hey." I was giving them feedback all last year, and it seems like they didn't make any changes. You have Toto saying, <laughs> "Why? Why does Hamilton say that, though? Yeah, what d- does that help anyone by saying that publicly? No, like you guys should have listened to me. It yeah. just makes it makes the Mercedes team look incompetent and makes Hamilton look petty. Yeah, he should just keep that to himself, in my opinion. The Mercedes garage is the Spider-Man pointing meme." Where it's just Spider-Man pointing at all the different Spider-Men. Like, everyone is pointing, but everyone's actually pointing at Mike Elliott now because Toto then came out and said, like you said, after one race in the second year of this design concept, the zero side pod design, he said, yeah, we got it wrong. It's like, you had the whole offseason. I know you're strapped for cash a little bit in this, you know, cost cap era, but you guys didn't make any shift. You just rolled out the same design and after one race decided... We're going to have to bin this. Well, if you're Mercedes, and I don't have the answer to this question. I, my, I have no opinion on it. But if you're Mercedes, what's riskier for you? Sticking with this concept, knowing that you're, gonna, you're basically guaranteed to finish third in the constructors every year, and maybe you'll win a race here or there, or you roll out a new concept. But what if that is an even worse failure? Right, because you're going to have to basically right off this entire year and just completely focus on future development, which like you said, you might get wrong or might not get as right as the other guys who've had a better concept for two years now. Where does more of the risk lie? In my opinion, it's doing a new concept. Yeah. I think a lot of what Toto is saying also is he really wants to keep Hamilton and deliver the eighth driver's championship to Hamilton in a Mercedes. I don't, you know, as far as Hamilton's concerned, I just don't see him going to another team at this point in his career. Yes. Because the road to uh, – I, I think it's equally hard for him to win a title now with Mercedes or, or another team. Well, he's always had but, Mercedes power. So if you look at the rest of the field that are running Mercedes, Aston Martin are the best-performing Mercedes-powered team. But 
We yeah. know he's not going to be partnered with Alonzo. There's no way that toxic <laughs> no pa- and, pairing will work. And they're not going to kick gonna Lance boot out. Alonzo out, and they're not going to boot Lance out. Right. So that's not really an option. I, I mean, think the, and the other for ones Hamilton and for 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 Toto, the threat is retirement for Hamilton. Right. His right. contract, his current contract, is up at the end of this year. Is he basically for the past handful of seasons been on a one year deal, or did he do a two or three recently? I think he signed a two, and yeah. this is the second year. I, I'd have to look. I can never remember the contract lengths for any of these guys. But, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating the way this plays out. I don't think they'll be this bad the rest of the season. I agree. It might take the first, like, five to seven races for them to, to find some pace in the car. I don't expect Aston Martin to just whoop their ass all year. Yeah, and I don't expect Red Bull to be this good all year because we're going to see the effects of that reduced wind tunnel time for the winter. Right. They're already basically planting those seeds in the media, too, saying, like, yeah, we're really going to start getting hurt by that reduced wind tunnel and testing. Yeah, and here's another thing that people need to realize. Larry will open the kimono for Mercedes, okay? These teams, these two teams basically colluded back in 2020 when we had the pink Mercedes car. Right. All right. Now you have the green Red Bull. So I expect massive sharing of data and stuff between Aston Martin and Mercedes. Yeah, for sure. Because Larry owes it to Toto, big time. Yeah, and as you mentioned, the other interesting thing is Toto Wolf is saying out of one side of his mouth, this concept's not going to work, but they're still rolling with it. And at the same time, at the other side of his mouth, he's saying, Mike Elliott, our chief designer, better figure it out. So it's like... yeah. You guys continued with this concept into year two, but now you're saying, like, we've admitted it's garbage in the wrong direction, but fix it to your engineer? Like, how is he going to fix yeah, this I, for broken concept? What is what is Toto actually threatening, like, besides firing Mike? Yeah. Um, because they're not, like, is he just going to tell Mike, hey, we need a new concept? No, he's not going to do that. We're one race into the season. Yeah, I, that's why I think a lot of what Toto is saying with regard to Mike Elliott is trying to appease and please Hamilton and be like, you know, in response to Hamilton saying, you guys didn't listen to me with the redesign or the new designs. I think that's Toto basically saying like, hey, I, I hear you, Hamilton. Do you get, rem- get it together, Mike Elliott. <laughs> Do you remember testing last year? Remember testing is split up between Spain and, and Bahrain last year? Yeah. So Mercedes showed up with a car in the first round of testing that did not have the zero side pods. Right. It was they only unveiled the, it in Bahrain. Yeah. yeah. So I, this is what I'm thinking. What about that other one? Right. What about the one that you brought? Dust off your yeah. Dust off the trick one that you were trying to roll fool that, everyone with. Roll that bitch out. How much worse could that be than this car? Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 interesting too because remember the drive to survive seasons when Mercedes was dominating and everything was total wolf saying yeah we don't point fingers here. If we fail, we fail together. If we succeed, we succeed together. It's not a blame culture. Everyone's, you know, incentivized to take chances and we don't <laughs> and hold then, your feet to the flame. And then Lewis and is poo-pooing the fucking engineers and Toto's like, this is your ultimatum, Mike. Yeah, and now now that the the heat is on at Mercedes, the culture is starting to unravel and they're starting to just point fingers and lay blame on everybody. I know Toto. Toto's just like Christian Horner. He loves being on camera. He loves taking interviews. It's all about the spotlight, getting the sponsors on TV. This year, it might be different for Toto. Yeah. He might want to go into hiding at some point. And pivoting now to the best team with Mercedes power after one race, Aston Martin. Alonzo put on a show in practice and we saw this some last year remember when he was in the Alpine where he would do very well in practice and even qualify way up, but you knew he was just going to tumble down the order. This finally was satisfaction for Alonzo fans in that he lit it up in practice and qualifying and was still able to put that together in the race. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating. Just the the relationship between Aston Martin and Mercedes this year is going to be fascinating to watch because the Aston Martin – Forget Red Bull, okay? They're in a league of their own right now from what we've seen. But Aston Martin's car is like crazy balanced because Bahrain is pretty much a power track. But look how well the Aston Martin did, even though it's a grippy, grippy chassis. Yeah, I think Alonso in most of the sessions was the best performer in the slow speed corners. Yeah, he's going to probably dominate Monaco. Yeah. I mean, I would be shocked if 
one of the Aston Martins doesn't win Monaco. Yeah. They've got a target on Red Bull and Max's back right now. Monaco, Memorial Day weekend. That is that is Aston Martin's trophy to take this year, in my opinion. I uh, also had a quick observation watching in practice. Just a little teaser of livery talk. <laughs> so Alpine is doing the same bit where they're riding the Pink Panther, the all-pink livery, mm-hmm. for the first few races overseas. And... I thought it looked good. The Pink Panther looks good. I, I can't wait to see the actual blue and pink livery. But how cool is the blue front and the pink rear wheels that they've got going, too? Very cool. The mix and matched wheel colors are very cool. The Alpine looking good with that all pink BWT livery. Right, guy, let's uh, get into quality now. There wasn't really a lot in practice. This is still so early in the season. There aren't yeah. isn't as much to kind of get into. It was just a continuation of testing. It, it always feels like the first practice sessions of the yeah, season. But we did get some validation of teams. Number one, as we mentioned, Aston Martin, specifically Alonzo, being able to actually fly on every day of the race weekend. And They've got a sick little chassis over there yeah. at Aston Martin. It's going to be really good on tires. That's what's going to be fun to watch with them. They should always have a strategy edge in races because that car has so much downforce. Right. The tires will be great for them. Yeah, that's the difference with a team like Ferrari. They have high-end speed and then just chew tires, you know? So yeah. it's not ideal for race days. So, yeah, we'll see. That's another. That's going to be another fun team to watch. <laughs> yeah, let's head to qualifying. Right, guys, speaking of Ferrari, <laughs> qualifying started off with Charles Leclerc's car falling to bits and yeah. bringing out a red flag. Just, it was a bad omen for... Leclerc, because we we ultimately know what happened to him in the race, but the writing was on the wall right away. Classic Ferrari, classic Italian car. Yeah, bits and pieces falling off for no reason on open road. So those wheel shrouds on the front wheels that that kind of arch over the tires. I guess there are two pieces. There's the top piece that flares over the tire, and then the bottom part is a separate construction because the bottom part of his came loose. And basically went under the car and like damaged the floor and was flying all over the track and they right. had to red flag the session. Yeah. But I didn't realize there was two pieces because when they fixed it, they just put in a new lower section and then had to like tape it to the top. Did you see that when they were like did we, taping it? Did we ever get an explanation for why it came off? Was it just oscillating off? Yeah, I think just either it was poorly affixed to begin with or just oscillations or banging curbs, you know? I... <laughs> I wonder, you know, what Fred Vasseur is thinking at this point. It's his first Grand Prix in the books as team principal Ferrari. For any team principal, that's the dream gig. You get to run Ferrari. Yeah. It went not well. Yeah, he, I... Even if... It's such a cursed job, because even if you do everything right within your control, Ferrari just Ferraris. Yeah, and not winning both titles is a failure at Ferrari. Like, the bar is so high at Ferrari, the extreme yeah. expectations that you're bound high. to fail. Yeah. Yeah, not since Schumacher have they really been what they think they are, you know? Yeah, I don't know. You probably didn't see this interview, but Albert Fabrega, the guy who's on F1 TV a lot, he did an interview with Leclerc after the race. And he goes, do you know how many races Max has won over the last two years? And Leclerc goes... Oh, uh, no, I don't, but I don't want to know. Please don't tell me. <laughs> and then Albert goes, 25 races. It's crazy. Right? And then he goes, do you know how many races Ferrari's won over the last 10 years? And Leclerc goes, he's basically silent. He knows yeah. it's coming. And he's like, 20. <laughs> so That's crazy. Max has won, I think it was 20. The point is, Max has won more races over the last two seasons than Ferrari's won in the last decade. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Yeah, they've been floundering for a while. The good news, though, Ryan, it seems that the concept for these new cars and the built-in parity with restricting the amount of testing and wind tunnel time and all that based on finishing order the previous year is working because in Q1, the entire field, all 20 cars were within 1.128 seconds. So just over one second separated the entire field of cars. So it's not like back in the day where you had a back marker that was three seconds off, four seconds off. Right. It's, It's super tight, which makes it amazing. Yeah. And the guys on the F1 TV broadcast were saying the same thing. David Coulthard, who's on the F1 TV broadcast now, which is sick, he, uh, he basically said, I can't ever recall the field being 
within 1.1 second from front to back. Yeah, it's crazy. Which is, this is exciting. Obviously, the Red Bulls, like I said before, they're in a class of their own. Yeah. But everything else, it's tight. Tight, tight, tight. Very tight. So your Q1 in Dunn's Rye Guy, Logan Sargent, he was pretty impressive this entire weekend. Pierre Gasly, Kevin Magnussen, Oscar Piastri, and Nick DeVries. But Gasly, I guess, ended up getting a penalty or had a lap time deleted, so he ended yeah. up starting dead fucking last. But Th- This was your theme, though, for quali, at least this go-round. The new guy struggled. Oh, yeah. All the new two, besides Nick DeVries. Actually, no, he did, too. Yeah, he, he qualified last until Gasly's time got deleted. Right, so, yeah, all the new guys struggled a little bit in quali. Logan was the most impressive of the newbies, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Williams, in general, seems like a much more punchy car this season. We'll and Albon has been awesome, even going back into last season. Albon's been fantastic. Yeah. So there's a new graphic that I love, the track dominance graphic. They were showing this during practice, <laughs> during qualifying. Stat. Yeah. They show the entire circuit layout, and then they have it color-coded for each mini-sector of which driver and team oh, yeah, yeah. are the best in those mini sectors. So it's awesome because you see every strip of the straights, every little corner, and it's just very a much better way, I think, to convey who's doing well than when they show like slow speed, here's where they rank and plus minus this many thousandths of a second. Right. I like just seeing Look at this. Alonso is the best in every slow corner. Red Bull is the best in every medium speed corner. Ferrari is the quickest on the straights because of the, all they care about is the engine. You know, So yep. that track dominance graphic is a great way to illustrate what cars are doing well and where. So I like that new addition. Raga Q2 cuties. Lando Norris, he really outdrove this car. Uh, it was Lando Norris, Valtteri Bottas, Joe Guan Yu, Joe Yuki Sonoda, and Alex Albon out in Q two. Yeah. So the McLaren, it's it's wild what's happened with them because Andrea Seidel had that team humming, really pushing at the top, and they've fallen off a cliff. They had Danny Ricardo dragging them back last <laughs> year, and then this year they right now after the first race, reliability, performance, everything seemed like the worst team. Yeah. They definitely had a terrible opening weekend. Um, I don't expect them to be that bad every weekend. No, I, I don't expect any of these teams to be that good or that but bad. You're right, though. We're in uncharted waters here without Seidel there. Um, right. You know, how do you plan for something like that? Like your team principal, he's basically the CEO of racing operations, or was, right? He walks. Now we have Andrea Stella. We have Which no idea. Which is hilarious, by the way, because it's like the same name. I know. So it always trips me up when they say Andrea Seidel, and now it's Andrea Stella. Yep. <laughs> they just gave him Seidel's jackets because they still say AS on them. Yeah. So in the final session, Q3, Charles Leclerc didn't go out for a final flyer to challenge for pole because they wanted to save his final set of new soft tires. And everyone was. There were a lot of hot takes flying around about this. I know a lot of drivers and people on the broadcast were saying, hey, you've got a shot at pole. You've got to get out there. But I actually liked <laughs> I liked what Vassour did there. It was sensible, yeah. Yeah. He was thinking about Sunday, not just, hey, let's shoot for pole, and then we're on the back foot with no new sets of softs to challenge at the race start. I liked the call, but you had so many racers on I think broadcasts. It was fine. Yeah, that were like, when you have a shot, I think they realize we don't have a shot for pole, and even if we get it, now You're we're not just going to get eaten Max. up. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, he's just thinking behind Max is what he's thinking. So I like that compared to Bonotto. Bonotto, I think, was had no sort of long-term vision or strategy. At least Vasur here is thinking about what's the most important, which is Sunday, you know? So I like that call, even though he caught some flack from some people for it. Ryan, your Q3 sweeties in the end, front row. Max Verstappen, Checa Perez, Red Bull lockout. Then you had Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, row two Ferrari lockout. Then you had Fernando Alonso alongside George Russell, Lewis Hamilton alongside Lance Stroll, and Esteban Ocon alongside Nico Hulkenberg. So how about the Hulk getting into Q3 in his 
first race at Haas here. Impressive. Haas is just the weirdest fucking team in that sense where they, they can never do anything in the race, really, but sometimes they sneak a guy into Q3. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. I mean, Magnussen me. got a pole position last year, and like you said, the I team know. never seems to be racy on Sundays. Well, it's just, have you ever seen a more volatile Sunday car? No. Than the Haas? No. We had Magnussen on pole. He kept it in the, did he keep it in the points that race? Barely, I think. No, he wrecked out with someone in the first turn didn't he like wreck I don't out remember, with ricardo or something like the car goes weekend to weekend it goes from being just a complete dog to being like somewhat strong in the midfield to to then making it into q3 and then the next weekend it will be back to being a dog yeah yeah that'll be an interesting team to watch because the fact that hulkenberg <laughs> comes out of the coffee shop and gets into q3 in the haas is very impressive that's what he does though his specialty is qualifying yeah. That's always been his only specialty. <laughs> He's never podium for that reason. He's not a Sunday guy. Yeah. So, Ryan, you like this. Formula One is following the money for sure. They now have sponsors for the knockout zone in all the qualifying sessions. Yeah, there's no space on screen that can't be sold for money. Yeah, everything is for sale. Qatar Air was the knockout zone sponsor. Qatar Air will now... Be your sponsor for whoever's getting knocked out in each, in each stage of quality. Yeah. And you mentioned David Coulthard, right? Guy, DC. He did the interviews after qualifying. I did notice, I mean, that guy, he has that crazy jawline. Insane you know. jawline. Yeah. He, he crack walnuts. He, he crack walnuts, cut diamonds. I don't even know how he fit that thing into a helmet. He had to have some special design on the in, inside foam. But the thing I noticed Talk about the Fountain of Youth or Benjamin Button. The guy's aging backwards. He definitely has the most rubbery face now. Like, I think maybe to start the season, he got some fresh Botox injections or so? something. Oh, his face. He was like an alabaster it, doll. It wasn't just moisturizer? You think it's... Oh, maybe, yeah. I'm sure he's moisturizing as well, but I think there's some needlework going in, a, some needlepoint happening. Dude, the skin is already so tight around that iron jaw yeah, of his. That's true. I'm, I'm surprised there's even room for <laughs> Botox without it bursting open. Yeah. So, we're heading now to the sort of the pre-race, Ryan. I forgot this. Total Wolf was already shitting on the car concept before the race. It wasn't after the race. Already after qualifying before the race was when he started mouthing off about, we I got mean, this concept wrong. It's not, we're not quite at that point yet. May give it a few races, but we might be saying, they might be shouting mutiny over at Mercedes. I mean, they were saying stuff like George, it was like they were whiny kids. George Russell was going, well, the Red Bulls are going to win every race this year. It's like, come on, dude. We know that's not going to happen. And He's just bitter because he got to Mercedes at the wrong time. One year too late, right? Yeah, Toto boned him. Let's not pull any punches here. Toto fucked George on yeah. the timing. Yeah, because now George has you know, finally got up to Mercedes, but they have an awful car concept. Botas did not need to do that extra year at Mercedes. Totally could have been George's, but Toto is wise. He doesn't want to upset the equilibrium with hamilton and that team yeah so you ready to go racing let's race 57 laps around the bahrain international circuit right guy so fred vassour i think was proven right because the ferraris were all over checo perez at the start with those fresh soft tires right and Checo was <laughs> defending like a mad dog. They were trying to say, oh, I don't know if he knew that I think Signs was on the inside because he was weaving all over the track, running Signs basically into the wall and lost out the spot to Leclerc at the start of the race. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, I think he did see them in his mirror. He saw Signs because he, he was sandwiched between both Ferrari and he kind of had to decide. He saw him. When, on the opening lap, you're checking your mirrors like a madman. Yeah. And then our first action, real physical action, Ryan, Lance Stroll plunges into Alonzo into turn four. Now, this is, we know how it went down. Everything was fine in the end. It was just a blip on the radar for Aston Martin because Alonzo got podium ultimately. Lance finished P5, P6. Six, I think, yeah. So, but man, talk about just the possibility for the worst start given a really good qualifying. Yeah, especially knowing where they finished and that Alonso was the second quickest team. They were the second quickest yeah. team. He was the third quickest driver what out there. What is Lance doing, if, though? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If he had actually damaged his car and or Alonso's car, 
I mean, just throwing away all those points that they amassed here. <laughs> it would have been awful. And it was great because Alonzo got on the radio who's like, they hit me. And then, yeah. Because he didn't know it they was like, Lance. We're looking into it. Yeah. And they kept calling on the radio throughout the race going, hey, uh, did they get any penalties to whomever hit me? And they're like, uh, nothing yet. Uh, Alonzo and they didn't tell him I don't think until the cool down lap at the end of the race and then in the green room did you see Ryan when Alonzo was watching the screen and he saw the replay of Lance hitting him and he was kind of like I think just biting his tongue and like fuck but then didn't he ultimately say Lance had a good I thought in the green room he said yeah, Lance had he a good did day then say like yeah Lance did well yeah because then later in the race he was asking like where's Lance you know this this start to the season for Aston Martin and the relationship between Fernando and Lance and Larry and the team itself what could have been in shambles after the first four corners. Right. Literally. If he if if they, if Alonso gets a puncture from that <laughs> and he has to take the longest lap ever to go get a new tire, my God, can you imagine how how frosty that relationship would have been right away? Oh yeah. And I wouldn't I wouldn't think that this Alonso will would again. hold anything back. This is going to happen again because Lance has these boneheaded moves in him yeah, at any given time. Yeah, he makes a lot time. of clumsy moves. He does. And especially with teammates. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if at some point this season he thinks he's quicker or he's in front of Alonzo and he makes, like, ridiculous... Remember, he did that on Alonzo last year when they were in separate cars where he basically, like, ran Alonzo off the road into the wall. Right, but here's the thing, though, is... You would think the premise is set in, in that team now. Alonzo's top dog. <laughs> like yeah. Alonzo just outqualified him. He just outraced him and podiumed. That's kind of always in been any, in any normal team, it wouldn't be like a debate after this. It's kind of always been the deal with Lance Stroll because remember when they had Vettel, like Vettel would outperform. Vettel Lance would be on more points and yeah. Lance would get the new parts first. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a whole weird thing going on there. But do you think that'll continue? No. Like if Fernando is just dominating Lance six races from now he will be and the first upgrade start coming do you think there's any chance alonzo doesn't get him first oh i think that they're gonna especially given alonzo's emotion and how outspoken he is and how he burns down bridges all the time i think they're gonna realize we have to cater to this guy number one like you said he's gonna be spanking lance he's gonna be lighting up all the practice and qualifying in races right so i don't think they'll be able to just ignore that and try and it will it will demolish that whole relationship with alonzo at that team do you how mad do you think sebastian vettel is that he retired yeah i don't i don't <laughs> think he's mad he doesn't strike me as that guy but i think I he's think, mad i think he's throwing his plate of food at the tv all weekend yeah i don't think he's mad but i think he's probably like dang maybe i should have hung around i don't think he's a guy who would get pissed about it but dude this is the i'm sure he has some regrets this is the irony in all of this He's much younger than Fernando Alonso. Yeah. And he was doing magical things in that car when it was much shittier than this. Vettel's 36, 37? Isn't that how old he is? Probably. I don't have his uh, trading card here to look up the stats. He's 35! Yeah. Alonso is seven years older than him? Six, seven years <laughs> older than him? It's crazy. And oh, it's just, it's such a weird, it's so weird that he retired when you look back at it. The other interesting thing was... Lance, as we mentioned in the Grand Preview, coming back from those horrific wrist injuries, broken toe, and when he hit Lance, Alonso... he deserves a lot of credit, yeah, though. Amazing he had he a complete like, reverse lock on the wheel, just pounding into his wrists, and he said after the race, he's like, yeah, my wrists were on fire after that <laughs> collision with Alonso. So he did not do himself any favors in his healing. How long is that recovery supposed to be? Because, you know, Saudi's right around the corner, and... Saudi's going to be even harder on his wrist than yeah. uh, Bahrain. Yeah, I think he's just going to have to grit his teeth and get to that sort of break in April because you have Jeddah coming up and then you have Australia and then almost like a month break. So he, I don't know if he'll ever be fully healed if he continues driving with it, but at <laughs> least he has a big gap between races three and four to try and continue healing. Man. So do we still, I know we did a whole bit about he faked the surgery, so right. he didn't have to test and all that. Do you think it was actually from a road biking accident? <laughs> now we're getting into a deeper conspiracy theory. No, I no, I'm just, he did. I'm just it was like mountain biking, I think is what it was actually. No, I thought it was just cycling. I had heard someone else then say it was mountain biking 
on the broadcast, I think. Because so we're getting a this, lot of well, conflicting Th- reports. To be fair, this happens all the time in sports, across all sports, where somebody gets injured and they lie about how it happened yeah. for contract reasons. Now, yeah, when, when Lance, they say, like, I, I slipped in the shower, it's like we know you didn't slip in the shower. Right, but, but Lance is the only athlete ever who doesn't need to worry about lying about his injury because his dad holds his contract. So you think it's something more embarrassing, and he's like, yeah, I was training on my bike. I don't know. It just seems odd. I mean, how bad is he at biking that he goes over the handlebars and breaks both wrists and breaks a toe? Like, cool it. For him to to mess up both wrists in a biking accident would imply that he, like, tried to catch his fall with both wrists on the bike. Was he training for the X Games or something? I don't know, but it's just straight. I feel like he did it some other way, and they're just covering it up. Yeah, more conspiracy theories coming out of the show here. Let's get back on track, Ryan. So you were talking about teams, Aston Martin, being good on their tires. Mercedes, not only did they get their concept wrong, they were chewing through their rubber as well. The tires were all going off. They uh, had to pit within 14 laps. Yeah. So no real good signs coming out of Mercedes right now for what they expect and want to do on track. Very few positives to be found. There's one positive from this weekend for Mercedes. They brought both cars home. Yeah. No reliability issues. So the rookies, as you mentioned, they struggled in qualifying. Logan Sargent was the best, I think, of all the rookies, closer to his teammate than the rest. Oscar Piastri had an awful weekend, was out on lap 15. Yeah. Um, Can I give a quick shout-out to my boy? Did anybody expect quick Nick DeVries to get smoked by Yuki in quali and then in the race too? Yuki, yeah. Yuki showed him. Who's the man at that team right now, baby? Yeah, Yuki was doing very well, and the AlphaTauri looked better than we thought it would be. We were expecting it to be one of the worst cars on the grid, but Yuki was able to dance around the track a little bit in that car. Yuki finished a second behind Albon for uh, final point. Yeah. Um, right guy back on track. Checo Perez ended up jumping Leclerc for second position on lap 26, and then from there on you had the Red Bull, Red Bulls on parade for the 1-2 finish. Um, Ferrari having just another bad weekend. Leclerc, Leclerc specifically, yeah. I've, I've called him this last year. I called him Charles LeCursed right. because he's fucking cursed at that team. Yeah, he ended up having to retire on lap 41. Before the race, didn't they change his battery? They're already making changes in the car, and then the engine goes on lap 41 in the first race. It's, yeah, it's Ferrari, man. Yeah. Not good. But I will say, Carlos Sainz seemed much better to start this year. Much more no, on Leclerc's heels. You don't think he was performing Dude, better than last season? He was slow in the race. He could not keep up with the race pace of every, anyone in front of him. Well, I think that's the Ferraris on this kind of track. I think they'll do better in Jetta. But Leclerc was like light years quicker than him. Yeah, same old, same old at that team. I mean, I think Leclerc yeah, nothing's changed. is a much better talent. But I think Sainz, he had such bad luck last year in that car. I remember getting taken out by Ricardo, having failures all the time. So I'm eager to see what happens in that team dynamic between those two Ferrari drivers. So then, Ryan, we started to see some undercut action. There was some good gamesmanship going on with the pit strategies. You had Lance Stroll pressing both Mercedes with undercuts. Mercedes was having to scratch and claw on pure pit strategy to try and maintain position with the Aston Martins blowing through the field, chasing them down. Yeah, I mean, this could have been a much different race for Mercedes if not for Alonso's trouble on the opening lap, getting tapped by Lance, which kind of put him out of position to defend from the ba- from the two cars coming from the back. If that doesn't happen, I, I don't think I don't think either Mercedes sees Alonso the rest of the race after the opening lap. Yeah, agreed. Alonso so, was flying. Like Mercedes is fortunate in that regard that Alonso had to actually fight back to get those positions back. But I mean. Yeah, it's like I said earlier, not a lot of good things to be to say about Mercedes. Yeah, and Ryan Alonso started putting on a show. He made a great move around the inside of turn 10 on lap 38 to get around Hamilton. That was a great battle Dude, between the two of them. Alonso, with the way that car can preserve the tread on the tire, is a beast. Yeah. He was throwing that car around like it was a... A freaking matchbox car, dude. Yeah, that's when you know the grip and the car and the down. Everything is working so well when guys are making passes look easy in spots that people never pass at. Yeah, and that specific corner, uh, 
turns nine and ten where he got I think he did three passes there. Yeah, he he tried to make other moves there as well on signs. He tried the same move. Yeah, I mean you've seen people pass there before uh, over the years at this track, but to do it, you need a fuckload of grip over the car in front of you, and you have to have control under braking to do it because that is a long braking radius into that turn. Yeah, and he did it three times in one race. I've never seen that before. How about? Was it? It was when he was chasing signs, right? Where he had that moment because he's able to carry so much more speed out of the corners, and the Ferrari struggles out of the corners. Where he started gaining on signs, and they kissed. He kissed his left front with signs's right rear. Yeah, I mean Alonso was just he, he was had so much grip, cutting it so close with everyone. Because yeah, like you said, he could throw it around the track wherever he wanted it. I'm telling you, this this is Bahrain. This is a power track. So if he's doing that here and getting podiums. He's going to be a force on those twistier, tighter tracks. Yeah, and he was Hungary, loving... Hungary, Monaco, you name it. He He's going to be able to fucking ball. Yeah, and he was loving life in that Aston that he was able to drive like a matchbox car, like you said, because after all those passes, getting around Hamilton, getting around his compatriot from Spain, Carlos Sainz, he was on the radio going nuts, you know, like, let's get another one. Woo! He was just <laughs> going nuts on the radio. Yeah, I think you're going to see... At least one Fernando Alonso pole position this year. And you can see, Ryan, how much he plays chess when he's driving the car. Like, it's so easy for him. Well, when you have that much grip, you could just be a menace. It's so easy for him to drive, and the car is also great underneath him now. So he's on the radio, like, plotting everything out. He's like, all right, guys, I'm staying off all the curbs now. Let's bring this thing home. You know, like, he's thinking so far ahead. Even when he's driving, like a lot of these guys, I think are just like, where the hell's my next breaking point? How right. are my brakes? How are my tires? Like all the greats have that high racing IQ in them, though. Yeah, Alonso, Hamilton, Verstappen, they're all like that. And going back now to another team, Haas, Ryan, we were saying how they tend to struggle in the races. It seemed something seemed to click late in the race because Kevin Magnussen in the closing laps started to kind of put on a late charge. He was starting to make some moves up the order, so maybe there is still yet some action in that Haas. We'll have to wait and see. Oh, I think every team, you know, you can't just watch this first race and say like, okay, well, McLaren sucks. You know, Haas kind of sucks. Red Bull's going to run away with it, this and that. It's new tires this year. Right. We have no, it's going to be race to race, compound to compound. Things are going to change. Some teams will have great weekends. Then they'll come back to earth. It's going to be interesting. In the fact that, as we mentioned, all 20 cars were within just over a second of one another. It's going to come down so much to tire strategy, pit strategy, race strategy, because when you're that tight on just pure performance and speed, that's what's going to make it fun, where those chess matches are going to be what can put a team, a random team on the podium or on the top step with a race win this season. Yeah, and it's just it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to watch how, how high Aston Martin can go. So, Ryan, my driver of the day, purely for the entertainment of it, was Esteban Ocon. Oh, my God. This was unbelievable. Yeah. So, he ended up racking up 35 seconds worth of penalties. So, to start the race, I think he was in the wrong grid position or he jumped the start and was out of his grid box. So, he got a penalty there. Then he served the penalty incorrectly didn't spend enough stationary time in the pit box that part was not his fault his right mechanics yeah, touched they're the, the car ones early. who start working on the car so it's their fault then when he comes in to serve that second penalty he speeds through the pit lane <laughs> in serving the penalty and gets another penalty so we were joking that he was esteban o'convict in this race just breaking all the yep. rules getting all the penalties so that was wild to see he truly had a case of the Sundays. <laughs> yeah. Because you were like, how bad is this? Or is this, are they just talking about the previous penalty? Because it kept coming up 10 seconds for Ocon, five more seconds for Ocon. So you watch the Sky Sports feed. I watched yeah. the F1 TV feed. I'm sure both broadcast teams were just laughing. Yeah. They were like, that's horrible that you're going in to serve a penalty, getting another penalty. And then when you go in to serve the next one, you're speeding and getting another penalty. Yeah. And what's interesting is, like we said, when we covered qualifying, all the new guys, whoever was a you know someone newly signed F1 or a new teammate, they all struggled on Saturday in quali. Yeah. Gasly probably had the sickest drive all weekend. Yeah, from dead fucking last and getting up into the 10th and final points position, right? Uh, no, he got ninth. 
So yeah, he got two points. Even better. And how many Insane. times? How many times did he pit? I feel like he pit three times too. Yeah, he was constantly hitting the pits, but he was rolling. And that's good news, Ryan. When the cars are this much closer to to get multiple pit stops because tires are going to be a better advantage, right? So you're going to say, hey, we might as well pit again because we're going to get fresh tires. We can potentially overcut, undercut, or just catch up the field because tires are going to make such a big difference in the performance of the car. Right. And I never, I totally expected Ocon to outdrive Gasly at least the first weekend. Yeah. He's established in this team. He knows that car. Gasly's new. But no, (laughs) Ocon just had an absolute implosion all this means is that the cat fighting between Gasly and Ocon at that team is just put on hold for one more race. And Ocon apparently doesn't know the rules, though. Did you hear when he got on the radio after all the penalties and was like, what the hell? These are the same rules that I've been, you know, I've been doing the same stuff my whole career. Why am I getting all these penalties now? It's just a bad <laughs> day at the office for Esteban. Esteban Oconvict. Yeah. So let's head to the post-race stuff, guy. I'm not a I mean I like these trophies because it's a massive trophy but not a huge huge fan. I don't think they'll be nominated because they're just too kind of plain. We like experimental trophies or avant-garde trophies. I agree. Then how about this is a new thing, right? We know in the sprint races they would always give the medals to the top 3 finishers. What was going on where now the FIA is presenting a medal on the podium to the winner of the race. It's not a trophy from the track or anything. It's just the FIA going, hey, here's a medal for finishing first. I don't know. I don't know why they overthink the pageantry aspect of F1 so much. They've tried to tr- change and tweak so many things. Yeah, they try over to the make, last two they're years. trying to make medals happen, and I don't know that it's going to work. We had the sprint races where the first sprint race ever, they got on the bang bus, and they were given wreaths. And, right. all, and stuff. And, but I do the, like the But reads. then that went away. Yeah. And, and then it, they went to medals and less pageantry. It's just stop overthinking it. Yeah. Design cool trophies and then turn the lights off. Yeah. When you leave the building. Speaking of design, we got plenty of segues here. What did you think of, I have a feeling this is going to be what the FIA, or not FIA, but what Liberty Media and Formula One are going to try and make every track do, is these insane over-digitized LED screen podium backdrops. They're, they only do those at the night races. Oh, really? Because you can see it. So they had the screen with the LED bottom part that the car winning car gets driven onto, which, by the way, they had a ramp that was like miniature. Yeah, and Max fucked it up. Max like banged up the... <laughs> had I to think, like climb up onto the surface. I think he hit surface. his floor on the yeah. screen. He might have even damaged his floor. Yeah. So they better get a better ramp to drive up onto that. And then you had just LED screens all over the whole podium backdrop. So they love doing that because they can flash sponsors, they debuted, videos. I think I think Singapore 2019 was when they debuted this LED board right. podium type thing. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see if that becomes kind of a directive all over the place. I know they love... Look, it's a sport full of gimmicks now. We just have to accept that it, it, it is a sport full of gimmicks, right? Every track kind of has its own wrinkle, right? Think the Mexico mood. They have the elevator. The elevator comes up with the car and the driver. Right. And the live DJ while they're on the podium. Yeah. It's just... it's It gets weirder every year. Yeah. So is there anything else you want to touch on before we can kind of give closing thoughts after one race in the books? No, I think it's just, it's a fascinating start to me. I know a lot of people who are obviously not Red Bull fans, not that we are, but there's a lot of bitching and moaning from people like that about Max winning again, the dominance from Red Bull. Hey, they nailed the regs. They're no different than Mercedes was the last eight years. Yeah, and now you have to put your faith in the new rules that when you win the previous year, you have reduced testing and wind tunnel time and all that, and hopefully that will bring them back to the pack and shake up the order throughout the season. Right, and we are seeing a shakeup. It's just right behind them. Aston Martin is probably the second fastest team now. Yeah. I'm very intrigued, Ryan, to see how the midfield shakes out, how the back markers shake out, because as we said, McLaren isn't this bad. I think Alpine kind of didn't re- – I mean, they raced from last place with Gasly to ninth, so I think there's – a lot left to be desired and that we're going to see from Alpine. And you had Ocon, Oconvict getting all those <laughs> penalties, right? 
So yeah, I think that I'm, team is going to be much feistier than they showed in the first race. I have no idea where any of the other teams are going to fall. Yeah. Outside of Aston Martin, they look really strong. Even with some little hiccups and you know teammates coming together, they still had a killer fucking weekend. Yeah. And it's just so funny to me that we're going to get to watch an entire season where Ferrari's PR team, Mercedes's PR team, Alpine's PR team, they're all going to have to dance around this hot button issue all year of Aston Martin, a customer team, being quicker than all those works teams. Yeah, that always makes things fun. They got, they're going to, it's a, a team owned by a dickhead billionaire. His son is one of the drivers, and then Alonzo, admittedly another dickhead, is the other driver. Well, everyone can probably recall back to those seasons when Red Bull had Renault power and they would spank Renault on track and how yeah. testy things were between Horner and Cyril Abitable, the head of Renault at the time, right? Well, this is worse, in my opinion, because. I mean, it came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. No one saw this coming. Yeah. And secondly, every time, every weekend where Aston Martin has another successful weekend over both Ferrari and Mercedes, they just get to twist the knife every time. Yeah. But I have to say, Ryan, the stage has been set for what will be another, like every season, epic season of Formula One. We've got yes. the Latin temper of Fernando Alonso up there yelling <laughs> through the radio because he's spanking all the guys that he hates on track. You know, he's able to drive that car however he wants. Like, it's going to be so fun. The cars are all tight, as we mentioned, just over a second separating all twenty. I think it bodes well for the viewers and the entertainment and the excitement of this season coming up. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. Love it. That does it for Purple Sector's Bahrain Grand Recap. It was great to be back on track, and now we're back on track here in the studio, right, guy? Oh, yeah. And the races are going to come hot and heavy to start, and then a little break, but we're going to be here through it all. So thanks for tuning in to Purple Sector. We'll be back with our Jeddah Grand Preview this week and more racing. Thanks, right, guy. Thanks to you all for listening. See you all on the track. Purple Sector... Oh, it's purple. Purple. Three purple sectors. Three purple sectors. Yeah, the car is terrible to drive. Very difficult. I want to change things. I want to stop Mercedes dominating. Honestly, what are we doing? Racing or pink rock? Okay, let's close that gap as much as you can. It's hammer time. It's not getting the full flex. How did you call that uh, last lap incident? Brainless. Daniela, a hard-fought fourth place in the end for you. Hard-fought? Not really. I thought that was boring. So I think we can call Max Verstappen the baby-faced assassin. I think we clench our butt cheeks and hope we stay there to the end, Martin. I'm driving like a grandma. What the f***? Looks like my wife's driving that car. Yeah, tell the safety car to slow down. He's stroking that Ferrari. I know I'm losing time for Vettel, but I really don't care. They are racing. So it's it's happy hour, basically. <laughs> People just simply don't have the balls to stick to what they say. Come on, Mamma, what the hell is going on? A firm boundary position, stay as they are. We'll talk about it after the race. Uh, we are here to race and not to just hang out, so...